Hey, Elboists, have you checked out MKL Reads lately? MKL is the one-stop shop for handmade oboe reads where you can try reads from various makers and then select the one that is best for you. How cool is that? Visit mklreads.com and enter coupon code double space read space dish, all caps, for free shipping on your first order. Don't you hate feeling bored with all the music on your stand? Well, luckily, you never have to feel that way again. JDW Sheet Music offers a wide variety of chamber music pieces for wind players of all ages. Their catalog includes duets, trios, quintets, and even double reed choir pieces for beginner, intermediate, and advanced players. Each of the pieces on the site will include sample pages, audio excerpts, and short descriptions. JDW Sheet Music has also made it possible to access the music sooner through the new digital download-only feature. Pieces that are marked digital download only will be made available immediately after purchase. To learn more about JDW Sheet Music, please visit www.jdwsheetmusic.com. Hi, I'm Galit Kaunitz. And I'm Jackie Wilson. And you're listening to Double Read Dish, a podcast for oboists, bassoonists, and the people who love them. So last time we talked to you guys, we were in Oklahoma, and this time we are in Missouri. By way of Iowa. By way of Iowa, we actually played the Tomasi Divertimento Corsica, which is a concerto grosso for reed trio and yes. string orchestra. Mm-hmm. And all you reed trios out there, this was great. It was really easy to put together. Yeah. We had one rehearsal. Yeah. And it was a really successful concert. So check it out. I don't think most people know about it. I didn't know about it. Did you know about it? No, I didn't know about it. And the individual parts all have some tricky yeah. stuff, but even the three of us putting our trio part together was pretty simple. Pretty simple. And then putting the trio with the orchestra, that was also, it kind of plays itself. It yeah. was painless and fun and yeah. everybody loved it. And Shout out to the Des Moines Community Orchestra for having us out. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> so... The semester is officially over. Sorry if we sound tired. <laughs> oh my gosh, we've been doing so much traveling. I'm officially on break. Yeah, same. So you guys can't see right now, but I've got a party hat on. <laughs> I've got confetti. No, I don't. I'm in my glasses. I'm in my jammies. I'm glad this is audio only. Woof. And we are recording this right before I drive back to Mississippi, so... And then you'll be on break. And then I'll be on break. It's going to be amazing. Yes. can't wait. Oh, so excited. <laughs> so happy. So we had done a call for participation on our dish. Jackie, do you want to talk about what we asked for? Yes. Well, you had the idea, because I hope I'm not about to alienate myself from the entire Double Read community. I mean, I but think you probably are. I do not read Harry Potter. <laughs> I, I've given it a try. I'm not anti-Harry Potter. And I've seen one of the movies, I think. Oh, my God. Um, but you were doing something Harry Potter-ish. I listened to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, which is an amazing podcast. If and, there are any Potterheads out there who want to check that out. And you had the idea to ask the listeners 
what Harry Potter house they were. And I was like, yes, we should do that thing that I don't understand what it is. <laughs> and then you explained it was essentially personality. And so we decided to open it up to Myers-Briggs, Zodiac, um, any personality mm-hmm. indicator and see mm-hmm. if we had commonalities of the same people drawn to double read instruments. And we found some interesting trends. Yes, we did. So these are not official statistics. <laughs> A statistician would look at our control group and say, this is not how this works. But <laughs> Correlation does not equal causation. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but of our responding double read players, 34, including us, mm-hmm. mentioned Myers-Briggs. And 88% or 30 of 34 were eyes, were introverts. Mm -hmm. So that's not totally surprising. (laughs) And of the 34 that responded, 25 or 74% were INs. Mm -hmm. So there was a a nice amount of variation with the last two letters, but very dominant was IN. And interestingly, the highest... Myers-Briggs personality was INFJ, which is mm-hmm. what I am. Mm-hmm. And it is the um, least common personality category for Myers-Briggs. Mm-hmm. Less than 1% of the population is an INFJ. Mm-hmm. And actually, I know two other bassoonists who did not respond who are also INFJ. Oh. So at least with my experience, <laughs> um, INFJ is kind of overrepresented in the double read community compared to the general population. I am an INFP, but what's interesting is that, well, I took the test in high school and I scored an ENFP Mm. and then I took it about 10 years later and I scored an INFP and a lot of my categories are pretty borderline. Yeah. So I think as I age, I'm getting more reclusive. (laughs) (laughs) I've always been on the extreme. But then we did have many people refer to their Harry Potter house Mm -hmm. and some interesting things here. 31 who responded referred to Harry Potter house and 14 were Ravenclaw. So for me, who is not a Potter kid, why don't you explain what a Ravenclaw (laughs) is? Okay, Jackie. So there are four (laughs) Harry Potter houses. Ravenclaw is the most scholastically inclined. Okay. They're the ones who are like, I'm going to destroy you with how good I am at school. Okay. I bet they're obelists. <laughs> um, Hufflepuff uh, is mostly characterized by loyalty and kindness, which is what I am. Which so. is not what I am. <laughs> <laughs> Slytherin, which is what you are. Okay, so I do not know much about Harry Potter. I made her take the the official sorting test. You did make me take the test, and I came out Slytherin. And in our everyday friendship, texting, phoning, probably about three times a week, she will declare, you are so Slytherin. <laughs> you are so Slytherin. So... I don't know exactly how to take that, but it is true that this is something that happens. So characterized by ambition. Work. (laughs) And then Gryffindor is probably the most famous house because that's where Harry, Ron, and Hermione are. That's the goody two-shoes house. No, it is not. (laughs) They are characterized by courage, bravery, and rebelliousness, perhaps. 
Oh, okay. Uh-huh. All right. So we both took, we were both sorted officially. And I was sorted as a Hufflepuff. I was convinced I was a Gryffindor. And then I took the test and it said Hufflepuff. And I was like, no. And then I read the description and I was like, no, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> well, you are in good company. Um, Hufflepuff was the second highest represented in our sample size, 11 or 35%. Mm-hmm. So Ravenclaw and Hufflepuff dominating. Someone who does not believe in Myers-Briggs or does not read Harry Potter, they're probably like, what is happening right now? But <laughs> it is interesting to see that, yeah, there is a lot of commonalities. Only three other Slytherin represented in our mm-hmm. population and only two Gryffindor. Wow. I thought there would be more Gryffindor because you have to be very brave to play the oboe and the bassoon, I think. That is true. Yeah. Lots of courage involved. Yes. But shout out to all my fellow Hufflepuffs. We obviously rule. We are the nicest and the kindest and the loyalist. <laughs> We also had some people reference the Enneagram, which I hadn't heard of before. Right, and also the disc. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we got we have more personality tests to take. So girl, you gotta get on the road. You're about to take off and drive all the way to Mississippi today. I got an eight hour drive ahead of me. Had an eight hour drive yesterday. <laughs> uh, and you know, I've got a lot of Netflix to watch, so Yeah. This we're both gonna be working hard yeah. today. But it's okay, because I'm gonna see you again in July. Yeah. For more driftless goodness. And uh, you will have gone to Italy already. Oh my gosh, you guys. The next episode, not to break the mystique, but it is going to be (laughs) pre-recorded and time to release because on June 1st, I will be in Italy. Eating carbs. Eating so many carbs. (laughs) I'm hoping to like crash the Italian economy because I eat all the spaghetti Uh and they don't have any more pizza Uh or carbs to serve. Yeah, gelato. Gelato. It's just like Uh American girl came and ate all of the food in Italy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited for you. That's amazing. Yes. Are you going to live tweet your La Scala? Well, they take away cell phones, so you cannot. Are you going to tell us about your experience? Of course. I won't shut up about it. (laughs) I told Chris, I was like, when we walk in, I I might cry. Uh And he's like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But what about you? What does the upcoming days, months, weeks have for you? Uh, Well, we we have to move. So we're going to, I mean, we're not leaving town. We're just moving to a different location within Hattiesburg, but we're going to move. So that's exciting. And, um, I'm going to be visiting family, North Carolina and Michigan and, um, working hard on some research ideas I have and like sort of synthesizing all like that really special summer work. I feel like summer is when I get all of my deep work in Mm -hmm. and I'm so excited I just got crazy eyes thinking about it (laughs) oh yeah I have such high expectations Mm -hmm. of the tasks too high this will get done in the summer and then I look at my list of all the things that are going to get done in the (laughs) summer uh, yes yes and you know shout out to all of those down under who this is winter Yes, yeah. who they're having to listen to us talk about I feel schools out for summer and they're going, shut up, <laughs> dumb Americans. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> We're just going to go sit by a pool. 
Yes, so we'll talk to you later. It's time to go lounge and relax. I love it. No matter where you live, Double or Nothing is there for you. Dedicated to providing excellent handmade oboe and bassoon reeds to discriminating double reed players of all ages and abilities, Double or Nothing Reeds has recently expanded to sell double reed tools and supplies, gift items, and more. This includes knives, knife blades, thread, staples, cane, bags, and resources for students. As authorized Fox and Yamaha dealers, they offer an extensive range of oboes and bassoons for all levels. In addition, they sell quality used instruments on consignment. If you're looking for private oboe lessons but can't find anyone nearby, Double or Nothing Reads offers oboe lessons via Skype. Visit doubleornothingreads.com for good quality and affordable readmaking supplies and accessories, lessons, instruments, and much more. Whether you're an oboist or a bassoonist, everyone is on the lookout for a great reed knife. And good news, Genda Industries is making the reed knife great again with the student reed knife by Genda. Genda Industries is known for its amazing quality and service in the double reed world, and in a world where the term student quality associates with cheap and disposable, Genda Industries is winning by making the best student reed knife ever. The student reed knife features a tapered handle that will fit any hand size as you grow, a high quality stainless steel blade that won't rust, and it's actually sharpened, you guys. It's ready for use right out of the box. It's designed to be used when learning how to sharpen. And most importantly, since it's a gender read knife, it is 100% supported by Genda. Plain and simple, the student read knife by Genda is the knife you'll want as you start your read making and adjusting journey. Add the code DRDGENDA, that's all capitals, no spaces, at checkout, and get 10% off any gender read knife, maintenance kit, read knife, sharpening book, cutting stone, or read tool roll. Visit them now at gendaindustries.com. Oh, and they're much more than just read knives. We are so excited to welcome to Double Read Dish, Alyssa Morris, Assistant Professor of Oboe at Kansas State University. Welcome to Double Read Dish. Thank you so much to both of you. It's a pleasure to be with you and to be able to get to know both of you better as well. Our stock first question is, can you please tell us how you came to start playing the oboe? Sure. Um, I hope it's not a problem if I uh, revert back a little bit further to my introduction to music. So uh, I had always, I have always been drawn to music. Um, when I was young, we had a, an old clunker piano in the living room that my parents had purchased from some neighbors for, I don't know, $150. And I, and I found myself gravitating toward it and wanting to plunk out some little nursery tunes and, and when I was about four or five, begged my parents for um, piano lessons. And they asked if I would practice, and I said I promised I would. And so I began piano lessons and quickly found a great interest in making up my own tunes on the piano. And I enjoyed this so much that it began to consume my practice. So my parents the wonderfully supportive people that they were. They they saw the value in, in making sure that I was practicing the things that were requested. 
by my teacher, but also understood that this desire to create on my own was something that they should encourage and cultivate as well. And so they told me that I couldn't use my entire practice for improvisation, but if I practiced the first, if I had an hour-long practice, and if I practiced the first 50 minutes um, of, of the recommended music that my teacher prescribed, that I could use the last 10 minutes for my own improvisation. And uh, I think it was from here that I began to understand the value that performing has in composing and and vice versa. I felt that the two went hand in hand and understood that the compositional process to me was important to my performance. Um, so I began in about fourth grade to start entering compositions into little competitions at our school and at the regional level and and state level and had some success with that. I really think that some of these programs are so great for kids and learning to be able to have uh, artistic outlets and, and find themselves in the arts. The one that I uh, often submitted to was the Reflections Competition, and I don't know if they have it nationwide, but it was a pretty common thing in where I grew up in Utah. Um, and having success in, in those competitions kind of fueled the fire to con want to continue. Um, in seventh grade, that's when I started the oboe, I knew I wanted to play a band instrument. Um, I saw the camaraderie that other experienced in band and, and uh, wanted some of that. And so, but I didn't want to give up piano or composition either, which continued to be a sort of, I don't know if it's a a dilemma continuing on, but something that that I've always had to grapple with is how to balance my love for the oboe, for the piano, for composition. And so um, in seventh grade, I, I began the oboe. I went to the band teacher in the summer to choose an instrument. I had my mind made up that I would either choose the flute or the clarinet. And my band teacher asked, have you thought about oboe? And I said, what's an oboe? <laughs> really, even though what it was or what I was getting into, but um, I'm really glad that he introduced me to it uh, and quickly fell in love with the role that the oboe plays in an orchestra and a band and, and just music in general. And I love the ability that it has to convey so many emotions, happiness, sadness, humor, Anger, beauty, ugliness, sometimes more ugliness with a bad read, I suppose. <laughs> Hopefully not. Unintentional ugliness. <laughs> so I, I loved that about the oboe um, and continued from then on to study piano, oboe, and composition, trying to balance the three. Um, and I always knew that I wanted to have music be my profession, but I... Uh, struggled with knowing how to narrow my decision because as I continued toward college, I, I knew that I would have to specialize. Um, so I auditioned at Brigham Young University on both the oboe and the piano, and I was admitted with scholarship on the oboe and placed on the waiting list for piano. And this made the initial 
choice much easier. And especially when I met Gerilyn Giovanetti, the OBA professor at BYU, I knew I was in good hands. And she was just a master in the balancing act of showing kindness and care for the student while holding very high expectations for them. I always appreciated that about her. And I had decided to major in oboe performance and to continue composing by taking every composition class I was eligible to take while not being a a composition major. So I took classes in songwriting and 16th or 18th and 20th century counterpoint orchestration, composition lessons, jazz improvisation. That was later at CCM. I took some jazz improvisation classes on the oboe, which I was thrilled that they let me do, and and a variety of other composition classes. Gerilyn uh, was extremely supportive of my compositional work, which I am always grateful for. Um, I asked her in 2006, right before my senior year, if it would be all right if I wrote a composition to perform on uh, my senior recital in 2007. And she was so supportive of this that I set to work on what became a piece for oboe and piano called Four Personalities, each movement being based on the Hartman personality test. When I showed it to her for the first time, I was just so excited that she was going to let me play on my recital, and I didn't really have any vision for it further than that. I hadn't even thought of the possibility of publication or anything. I mean, I think in the back of my head, I thought, that would be neat if that happened, but really I'm just thrilled that I can play my own music on my recital. And um, when I showed the piece to her, she immediately had a vision herself of of what could be, and she uh, suggested that I send it to uh, Trevor Kramer of Trevco Music Publishing and to Nancy Ambrose King, who at the time was the president of IDRS, and I, so I went ahead and, and got my recording from my recital together with my, with my, uh, score, and I, sent a package off to Trevor Kramer and to Nancy Ambrose King, and and to my excitement, Trevor wanted to publish it, and Nancy wanted to perform it at IDRS 2008 in Provo. I was just so thrilled, and and especially grateful at at Gerilyn's vision for what could be. I really thank her for launching the direction that my composition has gone forward. after graduation in 2007, I took some time off from school. I took about five years off after my undergraduate degree. My husband and I were expecting our first baby, and I was actually about six months pregnant when I walked across the stage at graduation in August 2007. So it was a good time to take a break for us. Um, I continued to teach and gig and compose, and my husband taught high school band and orchestra in the area, and we also had a daughter during that time, and it was around that same time that I began to receive my first compositional commissions. Um, and then in 2012, I decided it was the right time to go back to school to get my master's degree um, in oboe performance at BYU. 
and really looking back, I am surprised that this was the time that I thought was the right time. We just really thought that it was the right time, but I had a, a three-year-old and a four-year-old, and it was a, a pretty crazy time, but wow. I, <laughs> I, it was a great adventure, uh, but I really, it worked with the help of an extremely supportive family and even more incredibly supportive husband. Uh, so in a given day, I would drive my kids to grandma's house about 30 minutes from campus and, and they would stay for the day with grandma. And then I would drive back to campus and, and go to my classes. And then I would drive back to get them from grandma's and we would go home. And after they went to bed, I would practice from 9 PM to midnight or so. And, wow. <laughs> and it was like, it was a great adventure, but I also think that it, it helped me. It helped prepare me for, what was coming, I feel like, in general, and in higher ed, there's just a lot of, it It doesn't end at 5 o'clock necessarily when the bell rings to go home from work. It, it's a, a constant thing, and you're kind of finding hours here and there where you can where you can put in a little bit more work and, and find a, a better way to do something perhaps at school while balancing that with the needs of your, your family. Um, so it was really good preparation, and I really value that um, time. My master's degree at BYU again, Gerilyn was just so supportive of of my ideas and, and creative outlets. I suppose with regard to composition, um, and so uh, we went and performed a shared recital at IDRS in 2014. At NYU, I performed an oboe and percussion piece that I had written, and, and her Sundance trio, which is uh, oboe, bassoon, piano, herself, and Christian Smith and Jed Moss, um, they premiered a work. They premiered my composition of a work, Up and Away, and we performed that together. And I really look back to that particular experience and and. Um, value it a lot. I feel, again, like there was so much that she did above and beyond to make my educational experience incredible. Uh, Upon graduation, my family uh, embarked on a journey to Cincinnati where my husband and I would both be full-time students, which was uh, a real treat. and again, maybe a little bit of a crazy way uh, of going about doing this since we had t- two young kids and we were both in school. But I really look back at that, at those two years as, as some of our favorite and making some really fun memories. Being back in school again together brought back good memories also. He pursued a, a master's in music education at CCM and I pursued a doctorate in oboe performance with a cognate and composition at CCM. Uh, It was a great program, and I really enjoyed studying with Dr. Mark Ostich. We call him Dr. O there. And um, he was also an incredibly supportive mentor and focused on helping each student become their own best teacher. Um, That was something that I I really remember from my my degree and experience there um, in lessons. Frequently, this 
this sort of thing would run down. I would play an excerpt or a passage from the repertoire and that I was working on and get to a stopping point or to the end of a piece or to the end of an excerpt and expect afterwards that there was going to be some feedback. But instead, I would I would come to the end and, and he would wait a second and he would pause and then he would say, all right. <laughs> and the first time that he said it, I thought, oh, no, I blew it. It was really bad, wasn't it? <laughs> so, but I soon learned that he was just asking me to reflect on what I just did so I could diagnose and improve on my own. And and he would often do a little bit of digging after the preliminary, all right, and, well, what did you think about this? Well, how was this? And, and uh, it uh, facilitated introspection, um, which I think is, is so helpful for us to go on and be teachers and for us to go on and be our own teachers. Uh, so while I was at CCM and studying with Dr. O, um, he commissioned a trio for two oboes and English horn, which will be published soon, titled Parable of a Stormy Sea, and we performed it with Petraea Warnick at IDRS 2016 in Columbus, Georgia. Again, he was so supportive of, of my work, and I'm so grateful for the opportunities that, that he helped with and provided. Uh, he was also... I'm working on a CD project right now, the editing part of a CD project. I recorded with several of my colleagues at CCM, and it will be just a CD of my own music. And he was the producer of this upcoming CD, so I'm in the process of going through the recordings now and hearing his suggestions in the in-between segments. And it's priceless. Every suggestion is just so spot on and Every time we try things again with his little nuances and, and suggestions, it, it always sounds so much better. Um, and while I was at CCM, I also studied with Dwight Perry and Lon Bissell of the Cincinnati Symphony. I also value the, the things that I learned from them, really fantastic mentors as well. Dwight's knowledge of the study of excerpts was just incredible and so meticulous all of the time, and Lon really helped me to prepare for my K-State audition by listening to me go through my, my program again and again, and so I really just appreciate both of them and all of my teachers and mentors in, in the journey. So, And then I graduated from CCM in 2017, in August 2017, and, and started my job at K-State in 2017, so really they, I didn't even go to graduation because I had moved here before I graduated, so it's just kind of all been a lot so soon, and I'm grateful for how it's all turned out and for my teachers and how they've helped me to prepare to get to this point. And also well-deserved. Oh, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So... Can I ask you a follow-up question going back a little bit in your answer? Um, you had said when the, that when you um, first started music that you were improvising and you were playing piano and you were playing oboe and you were sort of doing all three. Um, what are your thoughts on uh, specializing and, you know, for, for people like you who have multiple talents in multiple areas, do you, 
do you encourage perhaps your own students to branch out um, into different interests that they might have, or how do you approach that? Well, I'm, I definitely think that it's an important part of, of the music scene now and going forward. I feel like finding a niche, finding a, a specialized area that um, that you can become, I suppose, not necessarily a subject matter expert, but but really have a, something new or a different perspective to offer can provide um, opportunities. Well, in, in higher ed, provides opportunities for research and for um, further study. Um, but I think that it, it just provides a unique angle for you to provide. And, and I do think that it also, for, for the students who, who are, if they are an oboist and they're very interested in, in the physical aspects of, of playing the oboe, then I think that that's something they should really research and, and, and dig into. Or if they find themselves uh, having a hard time deciding or grappling between piano and oboe, I think that there's definitely a way to, to serve both. If they decide to go in the direction of piano, then they will be that much more informed if they decide to be a collaborative pianist um, mm-hmm. because they will have had the unique perspective of, of being on the other end. And I think that continuing to hone both of, of those interests or, or those multiple interests, it does take some some balance of time and and efforts, but I also think that it can um, that it should be encouraged. I I think that it should be encouraged because I think that um, pulling out the things that are the student is the most passionate about is going to help the student to be able to feel like they can offer something unique and have more confidence about what they can offer to music and, and the future of music education or music performance or whatever they decide to do. Mm-hmm. For someone who hasn't heard your works, how would you describe your aesthetic and um, maybe talk to us about your, um, if you have any influences or if your compositional voice has changed over time and maybe how you went about finding it or was it always inherent to you? Oh, um well, I I think that um, every time we listen to music, that we're influenced in a in a different way. So I'm really trying to listen to what's new in in classical music, in film music, in popular music, in, in a variety of fields, just because I feel like every time we listen to something new, it informs us and and helps us to be able to. Um, to find something new in our voice, I guess. And but I I do feel like jazz has influenced me. I remember growing up when we would my dad and I would drive in the car maybe to a lesson or something that he would frequently listen to jazz. And um, my parents were both music appreciators, and they did play a little bit in high school and a little bit in college, but it wasn't necessarily their profession, but I always knew that they had this love for music, and, and my dad had a particular liking to jazz, and and I think that influenced me into really feeling like that was a, a part of my compositional voice, I suppose. Um, 
And I feel like popular music and, and film music can creep into uh, anything that we're listening to. Right now I have been uh, kind of taken by, and I know that this, that this music has ex- existed for a while, but, um, but I just kind of have fallen in love with it again. The music of Philip Glass, I just think that the hypnotic repetition and changing and, and um, ever so slight is, is really beautiful and captivating. Um, and also, I was listening to Missy Mazzoli today. I really think that her work is is fantastic and 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 really new and and I also respect that she's you know forging this unique path as a as a woman in composition and she's really doing some fantastic work so um I guess that's not a definitive answer but I do feel like jazz plays a hand and I do feel like that film music is in a way the opera music of now, mm. I guess, if you think how they were entertained when they went to the opera um, before, and now we have film music, and mass amounts of people go to films and, and, and listen to this film music, I feel like, because it is just a part of our lives, we can't help be influenced by it, and it's fantastic as well. So That's an interesting point. I love that. Um, one of my students actually introduced me to one of your works, The Collision Etudes, and I was wondering if you could tell our listeners the premise of those etudes and um, why you chose to do that, because it's such a cool idea. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, first of all, I want to just say that the, the first, I guess, inspiration of the piece was Jill Still at the Strini's uh, work, uh, six etudes for oboe that are based on six paintings by French Impressionist painters. And I just have always been really taken by that work. And, and when I first started digging into that piece, I felt like it gave me, there was, there was another layer to unpeel when I was, every time I worked on it and, and that it, it did, um, I, I challenged my, technical playing, my expressive playing, and uh, just so many layers of, of thinking about the piece, and and um, I loved the visual aspect, having it being based on six different paintings, and, and when I was in my doctorate, I had decided that just like I had done in my undergraduate degree when I wrote something for myself that I would premiere in with four personalities. I thought it would be fun to do that again, um, to write something for myself that I'm not necessarily writing for a commission that I get to premiere and, um, and play. And so, uh, I decided that I would write this piece based on six paintings by female American painters, and then I would premiere it at my final lecture recital at CCM. So um, so the piece is based on six paintings by American female painters, and uh, the first movement is based on a painting called Summertime by Mary Cassatt, and, um, and then the second 
uh, etude is based on a painting uh, called City Landscape by Joan Mitchell. Uh, and the third painting, sorry, the third etude is based on a painting <laughs> by uh, George O'Keefe called Jimson Weed. The fourth is a painting by Alma Thomas by, and, and it's called Rainbow. And then the fifth is a painting called Autumn Leaves by George O'Keefe. And then the sixth is a painting called My World is Not Flat by Margaret Bagshaw. And it was the research that led up to this particular composition, I think, was the, the one of the really enjoyable parts of the project. Uh, just learning about and digging into some of the beautiful art that has been uh, created by so many female American painters. It was really inspiring and and uh, trying to come up with a conceptualization for the piece or the why behind why I chose each painting, I guess, was another fun layer of, of research. And, and I also... Um, really digging into the uh, Silvestrini etudes in a formal analysis way was um, another really interesting layer of the compositional process that I found very enjoyable. Uh, at least in the case of the last movement, I, I took a, a formal analysis of his last movement and, and tried to at least... Um, Use those aspects of form to inform my compositional process of the of the last movement of collision etudes and um, and the way that he challenges oboists throughout the piece. I definitely wanted to mirror that and try to make it something that would be um, challenging, but that would again have layers of of meaning and that they would be able to dig into at different levels. So it was a very fun. Uh, project and um, fun to learn as well. I think sometimes <laughs> when I when I write a piece that I go to play it, especially if I'm playing in an ensemble, I feel like I think that people think when you write the piece, you auto automatically know how to play it. But <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely part of the process. A lot of practicing. So. <laughs> It was a really fun project, and, and I um, uh, just played a few of the movements for a Society of Composers Incorporated conference that we had at K-State and, and plan on playing them in the future. So, yeah. That's such a cool project, and the etudes are really, really beautiful. I can't wait to dig into them. Thank you. I appreciate that. And thanks to your student for presenting it at the at the conference. I always am so appreciative when when people play my music. That's Yeah. Shout out to Scott. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. One thing we typically ask our guests about is how they achieve work-life balance. And I anticipate that someone who's balancing a family in a full-time academic position, this is something, I mean, you've already referenced in terms of pursuing your education. But I wonder if there's also an additional layer in that you have to balance your life as an oboist 
and a composer. Maybe I'm projecting, um, but, you know, sometimes I feel like in my own position, the classroom teaching responsibilities or the, the various things that I have to balance weigh on, I just want to sit down and play my bassoon, you know. So I'd be interested in your experience particular unique experience of work-life balance in terms of um, all of those aspects? I still feel like I'm figuring it out. I think I always mm-hmm. feel like, well, maybe I'll figure it out a little bit better uh, next month. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a constant process, and, and I have to reevaluate all the time how I'm, how I'm doing and how I'm balancing and, and the why behind everything because, really, I feel like, I mean, the the love of music is definitely the why behind many things, but I think at the at the core is the why is is family, and because I care about them, and I want my kids to see that they can achieve their goals and and their dreams, and that and that we're also providing opportunities for them by you know by working and and so it, it does take constant reevaluation and. And also now that, you know, if, if you're on the path toward working for tenure or anything, you're thinking, well, will this thing that I do be helpful or will this thing that I do, um, it, it, am I just doing it because I have always been doing it for, or is there a more simple way to do this because it doesn't necessarily help me. It's just kind of a, you know, a thing that I've always done. So, um I, I feel like one thing that we do try to do, um, well, I, I, and I'm sure that many people in, uh, who teach school feel this way, too, that they try to kind of tank up during the summer. <laughs> like, we're going to try to spend some time outside enjoying each other's company and make sure that we have some time to reflect personally on what we're doing and why we're doing it and, and just recenter ourselves. Um, and we find that this is that when we go hiking, that this is a, a really good time to uh, kind of enjoy that companionship between the the four of us, and and to get away from all of the the things that are constantly taking our attention away from that. And and so when we go hiking, or my husband and I just recently. Uh, found a love for painting, so every once in a while we just go and buy a canvas and some paints. We did a painting during spring break too, and and have found that that helps to kind of I don't know give us a. Sometimes people talk about music being the the release or or the thing that gives them uh, a break from from the rest of life. But when you're a musician, it's not necessarily that way. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's hard. So sometimes it's helpful to have other things that help us to gain balance. When I go, when I travel, um, sometimes if I perform with a a symphony and it's going to be an overnight thing or something like that, or or in the summer if I'm going to go and teach a clinic somewhere or something, um, often we'll, we'll all go and then at the end of the trip perhaps we'll do a couple of things together so that we can um, spend some time together and enjoy that time together. It doesn't feel like we're apart so much than if we do that because I think there are things that will constantly, you know, 
come that could make it hard to just spend time together. So um, that has helped us, I, I think, to have a little bit of balance there. Um, with regard to oboe and, and composition, I definitely feel like when um, I get to the end of a, a semester, there's um, a few weeks where <laughs> where my kids are still in school and I'm not. And those weeks are my big compositional weeks where I just cram a lot in. I'm trying to do a little bit the whole time, but, but where I really dig in and spend some time on composition, I think those weeks in December and those weeks in May. And then in the summer, I have a lot of projects that I will work on um, compositionally. Because during the school year, I feel like my focus is, is performance and, and teaching, and, and so it is tricky to have to have an equal balance of everything during the school year, and I feel like there's kind of a, a time and a season for each of those things. Do you have advice for people who are dealing with performance anxiety um, and maybe even imposter syndrome? You know, I think that uh, we all can reflect on experiences where we had flow in a performance or when we didn't have flow in a performance. And and that feeling of, of having flow is, is intoxicating. It's just it's just such an exciting thing when you're performing and you feel like, I'm not nervous and, and this is going really well. And, and maybe you're not even thinking about that. You're just you're just making music. It's such an exciting thing to have that. Um, and sometimes it's hard to identify what leads up to having that experience as opposed to what leads up to going into an audition and, and thinking that you know everything but just feeling so nervous and, and, and all of a sudden playing the wrong note right at the get-go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I... I think that I have been trying a variety of, of different uh, techniques, kind of self, um, self-talk sort of things and, and power pose sort of things because I am trying to identify this too so I know how to help students. Because I, of course, I mean, sometimes I just had a performance, the um, K-State, our, our wind ensemble, just, went and performed at the Kennedy Center, and I went with them, and I performed the uh, Oscar Navarro Legacy, um, that concerto. I really love that piece. And um, and I felt like um, the first time I performed it with them in December when we just, when we played it at a, at a band concert in, here in Kansas, um, I was really nervous. I, I it went fine, but I, I was not, feeling slow, and um, and then when I performed it again at the Kennedy Center, um, I really had just an amazing music-making experience where, where I felt like I was feeling flow, and I felt like I was, it was, it was just exciting, and, and, um, and everybody seemed really locked into what was happening and what was going on, and, and I think um, part of it is is remembering who you're doing it for. Um, I think at the beginning I was like, well, if I'm, if I play this badly, what am I, what's so-and-so going to think or what's, you know, what's going to happen? And, 
and my, my focus was wrong. I wasn't thinking about trying to share this wonderful piece with these people who may or may not know what an oboe can do. And, and um, I was instead focused on me and what they were going to think about me. It wasn't about music and, and, um, and sharing this experience with other people. But when I, when I performed at the Kennedy Center and, and at the rehearsal, just leading up to our performance, I, I told myself to commit, just, just commit to the performance, commit to the music and, and co- commit to sharing this music. And, and I think that that helped me to remind myself to, to just not worry about me. It's not about me. It's about, the the experience and about sharing the music and and when I was and then when I went out on the stage this was a, a music festival where high school students also came and when I went out on the stage and realized that there were just these a whole bunch of wonderful high school age students who were here and they were gonna get to hear this great piece and and it was it was even more easy to be able to focus on the why. Um, because I realized that that they weren't necessarily taking down marks regarding whether or not I played that note perfectly in tune, or um, they just were there for the love of music, and so it was a really enjoyable experience. And I do think that power poses can help, and and self talk can help reminding yourself when you go on stage my preparation is complete because really whether it is or not it is wants to go on stage <laughs> that's a good point so not go on stage and say oh i really wish i could have done this more than this more then inevitably we're going to be thinking about that when we when we perform so i'm trying to remind myself my preparation is complete and and also that i play to bless, not to impress. That was something else somebody somebody else told me. Like, I love it. <laughs> so anyway, um, it has helped with keeping the focus on the right reasons for playing music and, and performing. Galit's going to embroider that on a pillow. <laughs> Get out of my head. <laughs> Do you have any stories to share with us of a funny or embarrassing musical moment? (laughs) Yes, and it's funny how it's all just happening this year. It's like you're experiencing the myriad of of positive and negative, you know, no, I'm just kidding. It wasn't really that negative, but but (laughs) it was embarrassing, that's for sure. Um, (laughs) So so I had a student in one of the oboes, the oboe tech she rented or borrowed an oboe from the school and noticed that there was this a pretty old oboe. I mean, a lot of times the oboes for the tech classes, they, they've been around for a while, and many students have used them to learn their scales on the oboe and prepare to learn to teach the oboe to high school and junior high band. And, and so this particular oboe had been around um, for a while, <laughs> and she noticed that the oboe had a, a tiny chip out of the bell, just a little chip out of the outside of the bell that needed to be fixed. And she was concerned about it and didn't want it to, you know, seem like it was her that did it or anything, but that she had found it that way. So she came 
to my office and she said, what can we do to fix it? I just feel, you know, what, is there something that can be done? And, and I thought, well, this seems like a simple thing. I mean, we could do a more fancy fix of this, but why don't I just take some super glue and, and stick it back on and it'll be fine. <laughs> and so I, I had her come in and I pulled out the super glue and it was not coming open. The, the, little package of Loctite, it was Loctite, and <laughs> and I was already feeling like, oh boy, this is not going well, and so I I don't know what I was thinking, I must have been on too little sleep, but I thought, well, maybe it just needs some extra kind of leverage, I need to use something else to clamp down to be able to open the thing up, so I put it in between my teeth, thinking, yeah. I'll twist it, and then... <laughs> I can't believe I did this. I feel so, so stupid. So, so as I twisted it, of course, super glue squirted on my mouth and on my tongue and like, follow oh. it. Oh, I feel so dumb. And this student is right here watching. <laughs> I just, oh, I felt like, what am I doing? The imposter syndrome right there. Oh my goodness. And so, I, I mean, I couldn't feel my tongue, and I couldn't, I'm like, <laughs> I'm playing this and this and this, and now I'm going to play, and I have to peel my stuff off, and so I did not, think, and then I still couldn't get the lid off, it was just a whole bunch of stuff. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, so I just had the student go on her way, I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'll get some new super glue, we'll fix this, just don't worry about it, just keep the piece in, in the, in the box and, and take it on your way, and then I went to my mirror, and I'm just trying to claw it off my face. <laughs> oh, so, did and you then, get it off? I did, I got it off, I got it all off pretty quickly, thankfully, but oh, <laughs> it's awful, so, lessons, not, what not to do, that was <laughs> I told my mom. I was so embarrassed, and later I called my mom. I was like, I know my mom will make me feel better. <laughs> and I had talked to her earlier, too, about counting calories or some New Year's resolution or something. And so she sent me this this uh, little meme that she had found on the Internet just after that that had a picture of super glue, and she said, this is chapstick for dieting. <laughs> <laughs> classic I know I know it's perfect so that is so funny I probably would have reacted the exact same way like okay everything's fine I'll see you later just uh don't throw that piece away bye (laughs) (laughs) I I know that other students found out they all got a really good laugh out of it but that's okay I mean sometimes you just gotta it keeps us humble I suppose yeah definitely (laughs) So I'd love to ask this question. What advice would you give to a young musician who aspires to have a career like yours? Well, I think that, again, reverting back to the the talk of balance, if if you find yourself really passionate about more than one thing in music, it's okay and it should be embraced. And I think that you should just continue digging in and finding any way that you can learn more about what you're passionate about. If If it's composition, then do what you can to to take composition lessons, to listen all that you can and to find the music that inspires you. Figure out how they how they what what chord that was that so captivated you in that particular piece and, and how did the composer get to that by 
by score study and analysis. And, and, and I remember Dr. O used to say, he said, be curious. I mean, be curious, ask questions and, and figure out how it was done and, and, um, and find a way to, I guess, marry the two interests because I think that in that kind of area where the, where the two meet, there can be some really interesting new things that are created. So just continue doing all you can to study um, in each of those areas that you're passionate about and, and be curious. Could we also adapt to ask what advice would you give for anyone who has an idea for putting their ideas down on staff paper and, you know, taking that initial leap to compose on their own? Asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that um, some of the scariest part is just what's going to happen once I once I put a note on the staff or am I going to be able to figure it out? And, and I think just playing with the software or just being willing to write something down in the first place is the first step. Um, so uh, my son and daughter are, are both starting to learn piano and, and working on um, a variety of different things. And, and um, my son when I was working on Finale asked me if I would show him how to, how to do it. And, um, and so I said, sure. And I thought the easiest way would just be to show him how to do the simple entry because then he can just kind of grab and drag and click and, and, and put some things in. And, and I mean, they learn computer games so easily and, and it's like the tech is so second nature to them. Sometimes I, in fact, when I was putting together a, a website for my K-State Oboist, um, I I asked my son if he would help me, <laughs> and, but he knew way more about the initial preliminary setting up of the website than I did. He just is so much more technologically savvy at the get go than than I ever was, and and so I showed him how to kind of drag and click, and then and then it's been pretty cool to see what he's come up with just by um, listening to it play and then trying something new. And and um, so I think just delving into the software a little bit and just trying to learn is, is the first step. Um, when I'm composing, I definitely feel like improvisation plays a, a pretty big role into the process. I uh, start I just use my phone recorder and and sit down at the piano and I and I just improvise for a while until I feel like something interesting comes up and then maybe a motive or a phrase or something and and then and then I feel like once we what we from what we understand about um, formal analysis and and different music forms then from then I can kind of start to piece together some ideas regarding a, a piece and, and write something out. I also find that sometimes I, if I'm in the car and I, and I come up with a, a melody or something kind of pops in my head, then I just sing it on my, <laughs> on my phone recorder. So nobody probably should find my phone recorder because then they'd hear how awful my voice is. But, <laughs> so, but, but I find that any, any sort of, inspiration that you find here or there, um, if you can record it and jot it down, you don't have to feel like the whole piece 
needs to be finished at once, but just chipping at it a little bit by playing with the software or or recording yourself improvising something or, or something. I think all of those things can gradually work together to come up with something that um, is a, a complete work. Well, hey, Taylor Swift sings songs ideas into her phone recorder, too, so there you go. Not that I know that. I don't know how I know that. I don't. <laughs> I'm busted. <laughs> well, Alyssa, this was so wonderful to talk to you and hear your thoughts on all these different topics. Would you tell us um, what exciting projects you have coming up and where our listeners can find you on the Internet? And thank you both again for for having me for um, for this opportunity. I just really appreciate it what you are doing for the double read world. Um, so projects right now. Um, I am finishing the editing process again of a CD that I'm uh, that I recorded uh, a bit ago with some of my colleagues from CCM and and Dr. O was the producer of the. CD. It includes four pieces, um, Where Do Children Come From, which is a piece for oboe and piano that I wrote, I think, in 2012 or 2013, and then, um, and then Motion, a quartet that I wrote for flute, oboe, clarinet, and bassoon, and then the collision etudes that actually will be on this recording, and then uh, Coastal Kaleidoscope, which is a piece for flute, oboe, and piano that I wrote around the same time as I wrote Where Do Children Come From in 2012 or 2013. So I'm finishing the editing phases of, of that CD. And um, I have a couple of composition commission projects I'll be working on in the summer, some that I just barely finished. I just finished a... Uh, uh, Reed Quintet for the Paradise Winds in um, in Arizona and Phoenix area, and I'm excited about it. I don't know how much I should or shouldn't tell about the about the piece, but I'm really excited to hear them perform it. And um, and then I just went to a premiere of a dectet that I finished at the beginning of the year for double woodwind quintet instrumentation. It's called Where the Colors Fall, and it's kind of a decomposition of a, of a hymn. And, um, and it was premiered at kind of a, a music artist residency that I was at it, at um, Brigham Young University, Idaho, at the beginning of, or at the end of March. And um, so moving forward, I have a woodwind quintet that I'm working on for a group in Washington and uh, um, a flute oboe piano piece that I'm working on um, for somebody and uh, um, an oboe piano piece that I'm working on for somebody and and um, and my first orchestral like strictly orchestral commission I'm really excited about I I was commissioned to write the concerto but this is the first that's just an orchestra work not necessarily um, any soloist associated with it and it's for the Richmond Symphony from Richmond Indiana and and so I will write the piece. I think it's supposed to be done in, in November, and then I'll go out in February of next year. That's when they'll premiere it. And um, 
I have a, uh, with Double or Nothing Reads, I will be, um, they have their summer camp this summer, and I will be a, um, they're teaching Ogle at their summer camp, so I'm really looking forward to that. And, yeah, just excited about the summer ahead. I think it's going to be really fun. If you're looking for me on the Internet, you can find me at AlyssaMorrisMusic.com, or, um, and you can find my music through Trevco Music Publishing and Trevco Varner Music. Um, he sells my music. And, um, and then also it's some recordings that are available through MSR Classics and Centaur and also on, on iTunes and, and uh, Spotify, etc. Well, thank you so much for being on. We can't wait to share this interview with our listeners. And, yeah, we can't thank you enough. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you both. So we hope you absolutely loved that interview with Alyssa Morris. You can follow us on all of our social media and YouTube and, I don't know, SoundCloud, Google Play. We're everywhere. We're all over the place. Rate and review if you want. It makes us have happy feelings. (laughs) But only if you're going to say perfect complimentary five-star things. (laughs) And do not forget to tune in next time. We have an interview with Stefan Levesque, principal bassoon of the Montreal Symphony for you. Whoop, whoop.